What is your commitment? I mean, what are you committed to day in and day out? If someone was to observe your life from the outside, read your thoughts, what would they say that your life is committed to? What would they say that your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength is committed to? Excuse me. Tom Brady in an interview with Mark Slara said, all right, you know all who Tom Brady is. Okay, all right. <clears throat> he said this about commitment. If you want to beat me, you better be ready to lose your life because I've already given up mine. And Mark Slara, in his response to this interview with spending time with Brady, said this about him. The thing I learned most about Tom Brady is playing quarterback is not a job. It's a lifestyle. And you got to be willing to commit your life to it. He wakes up, and it's all about what I'm going to do today to be the best quarterback I can before this organization. That means diet. That means exercise. That means hydration. And Sundays aren't the problem. Monday through Saturday, that's the problem. What are you committed to? What is your commitment? In our series of generosity, we've been learning about the incredible generosity of our Lord. <coughs> I'm sorry, I just need a drink. It is. The incredible generosity of our Lord. And we've been exploring the different currencies that God gives us to give. The different ways in which we can give. Uh, so we've talked about currency being a medium of a value to exchange things, right? And so there's financial currencies that we have, right? Our money that we can give. There's social, emotional things that we can give. There's relational, spiritual. We talked about forgiveness as a currency, We've talked about hospitality, love of strangers as a currency. We've talked about, uh, we've talked about money, giving our money as a currency. And today, today we're going to explore the currency of our time and energy, our time and energy. And here's what you need to know, what you're committed to, what you're committed to is your time and energy, what your time and energy shows. That's what you're committed to. So what is your commitment? And today we're going to anticipate that. We're going to anticipate commitment. We're going to anticipate, understand, eagerly await, and understand what the commitment God has, and then what is that commitment that he is instilling in us to have? What is that commitment? As we eagerly await, we're going to look at, this morning, the commitment of a rich young ruler. We're going to look at the commitment of Jesus and you're going to look at the commitment of you and I. So let's do that as we anticipate commitment this morning. Luke 18, 18 through 19. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
There's a couple things you just need to hear, understand from the, the beginning. This is, a, this is a passage and this is a story that's also told in, in Mark and Matthew, right? And uh, almost exactly the same. They give us a few more details, right? They, they tell us rich, which we can imply by the rest of the story, that everyone knew that this ruler was rich. A ruler is just a person, it's like an elder of a synagogue. So he's a ruler of the local synagogue, so an elder of a church. So this is a man that has spiritual importance. This is a man that has financial importance. And he's, he's pretty young, we're told, in the other Gospels. So he's rich. He's a ruler. He's young. And he asked Jesus a question. He asked Jesus a question that's actually a nonsensical question. It's a question that everyone knows the answers to. Everyone in that time and day would have known the answer. How do I inherit eternal life? How do I obtain? How do I get what's rightfully mine? How do I get that? And everyone knew the answer. I mean, you and I maybe not know what the answer is. But they would have known. Their culture would have known the answer. And it's simple. Obey God and avoid sin. Obey God. Do what you're told. And avoid sin in your life. Then you'll get it. In a sense, be good. Be good. Everyone knew the answer. And so he asks, good teacher, how do I be good? How do I maintain this inheritance that is rightfully mine, that is my birthright? How do I get this treasure that is in heaven? So you have to ask, is this a test? Is he testing Jesus? Or does he just want reassurance? About who he is. So Jesus has a twofold answer. He answers this rich young ruler. Says, first thing he says, why do you call me good? And he goes right to the heart of the issue. Why do you call me good? That's an interesting thing you just said there. Why are you calling me a good teacher? Because everyone knows that the only one that's good is God. Which is the answer to his question, by the way, right? The answer to his question is, how do I inherit your life? And the answer would have been simply, be good. Obey. Avoid sin. Be good. And then Jesus goes right to the answer, the heart of the question. Why do you call me good? Because everyone knows, you know it, I know it, that the only one that is good is God. And he wouldn't argue that point. That's not a point that he would argue. Like, yeah, okay. And, 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 it's, and it seems like Jesus is saying he's not God. There's lots of other places in the gospel where he's very clear, I'm God. Father and I are one. But he's also saying it here too. Yes, you're right. I am the good teacher. And the only one that is good is God. And you've come to the right place. You're asking the right person. And then Jesus, his second part of the answer says, you know the answer to this question. You know the answer to this question. Obey. You know the commandments. Obey the commandments. Avoid sins. And then Jesus begins listing the commandments. And so we know the first commandment is, right? No gods but me. All right, this is the Ten Commandments, just in case you don't know, right? The first commandment is no gods but me. What's the second commandment? I got them up there so it's easy for you to get it, right? Right? And no images, right? No images of God. We could explain murder what those all mean, but we're not going to do that today. No, no God's name in vain. Right? These are all about loving God. Keep the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Right? And then you say, oh man, Jesus is just going to roll on with this. Right? Honor your mom and dad. No murdering. No adultering. No, no stealing. 
No false witness, no coveting. But the thing is, like they knew those were the Ten Commandments. Jesus says, yeah, you know the answer to this question. You know the commandments. And what commandment does he start with? He doesn't start with the first. Right? He says, right, honor mom and dad. Huh, strange one to start with. No murdering. No, no adultery. No stealing. No false witness. And what does the guy say? Perfect. I have done these for my youth. I have done all these things. Man, you know me so well, Jesus. I have kept them all. And then Jesus goes right after it, doesn't he? I mean, he does it right at the beginning. He doesn't even list those other commandments. Now, the now, the rich young ruler would have knew those commandments. Everyone else would have knew. But Jesus doesn't start there. He lists all the ones that the one guy was confident that he kept. And then he goes to the heart of the issue, which all these other commandments go after. All these other commandments go after. He knows that this ruler has an idol. He knows he has a big issue. You lack one thing, don't you? You lack one thing. You have something that's before me. You have something that's before God. You love something more than me. You covet something. Right? You, you see that, right? that? Those are all the other commandments that he's listening to summaries, right? No gods but me. I'm the only God. No false images. Don't, don't take my name. Don't use it loosely, right? Keep and honor the Sabbath, right? Honoring God. No covenant after other things. Those aren't the ones Jesus lists. He keeps those silent. And then he goes after. See, you, that's this problem. You love something more than God. You love something more than me. And Jesus is a wise counselor. Lisa has been quoting this passage the last couple of weeks, or this last month, Isaiah 9, 6, right? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, Amen. And his name should be called Wonderful Counselor. And he demonstrates it right here. Because he knows what this individual needs to hear. And he lets them hear it. He says it explicitly. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just give out platitudes for everyone to understand and hear. He knows with you and deals with every individual thing that you and I are dealing with. He knows. And so when he's encountering, he's not going to encounter the rich young ruler and then encounter someone else because they're going to have different problems, different issues, different things they covet after. And so he has a wise counsel. Because you may think, man, he's being really hard on this rich young ruler. No, he's going after the real hard thing that this rich young ruler needs to hear. He gives him specific individual counsel. He says, get rid of what you covet. Get rid of it. What you love more than me, get rid of it. If it's in your way, get rid of it. If you're committed to money, not God, get rid of your money. Luke 18, 22, 23. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Because that's what he asked for. 
He asked for, what's the treasure? Give me my treasure in heaven, eternal life. How do I inherit that? And Jesus says to him, you, you need to give up everything. You need to give up all your money and sell it to the poor. Now, you may be thinking about this. This is really the only time where Jesus tells someone to give up all their money. This is not a universal thing that you and I now, right now, empty our pockets and give it to God. That's not what he's saying, or give it to the poor. That's not what God is saying. But he's saying to this, this guy, this is what you lack. This is what you have before me. Get rid of all of it. Not some of it, all of it. If anything is interfering with your love of God, you need to reevaluate that really quick. And Jesus gives him wonderful counsel, specific counsel. Right, that treasure in heaven, that eternal life, which he covets. Now, he might say something else to you. I don't know what he's going to say to you. But I know you lack something. I know, because I do it and you do it and everything, that we covet something, that we love something else in our life more than we love God. And so Jesus' counsel is going to be very specific to you. Just to, just to give you another example of this, there's someone else who asked for eternal life in scriptures, right? And it's with Jesus in John 4 when he's in the, uh, at the well with the woman in Samaria, right? And he, Jesus says, he's asked for a drink of water. She go, he goes like, hey, Jesus says, I've got water that's living water. And he equates that living water to eternal life. And she wisely says, give me that water, <laughs> I want that eternal life water. That's the water I want. And what does Jesus do with her? Go get your husband. And she goes, I don't have a husband. And she's just like, I know. You got five husbands. And the one you're with now is not even your husband. Because what's her issue? Her issue is her identity and security in this world is men. And so when those men fail, she goes to the next man and to the next man and to the next man. And man, we can psychoanalyze her all we want. But here's the issue, right? And reality, hey, in that culture, women had to find a lot of their identity and security men. I'm not saying that was right at all. But I'm just saying, that's, Jesus goes right to the issue. Listen, you've got something going on here. I'm your security. I'm your identity. You need to give this up. Very specific to her. That is wonderful counsel to her. That wouldn't be a great counsel to the rich young ruler or vice versa. To her to say, you need to give up all your money. Then you can be, have eternal life. For the rich young ruler, he needs to give up his love of money Give up his money to the poor. And what else does he need to give up? Give up your ability that you think you can do good. Because he says, man, I did all that. I've got that. What we commit to, or we commit to the things that give us our identity. We commit to the things that give us security. We commit to those things because those things, man, that's who I am. That's where I'm okay. That's where I'm comfortable with. And so we commit our lives to those things. Whether it's money, 
Whether it's men or women, whether it's for Tom Brady, it's football or winning or competition. Whether it's your job, this is who I am. Whether you're his family, hey, this, is, this identifies me. This is where I find my comfort. But the problem is those things fall apart. And then our life begins to shake and crumble. Whether it's our sexuality, right, we commit ourselves to that. Whether it's our politics, man, we find security in that. And so when our candidate doesn't win, our life falls apart. It no, your life should fall apart because those things will fall apart. Your identity is misplaced. You're committed to the wrong things. All of those things aren't inherently bad. But your heart towards them is. You put them above God. Now, you may not think that, but when they become your hope, when they take your time and energy more than God does, when they're not used in service to your love of God, they are misappropriated. And Jesus needs to tell you something. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Jesus is telling all of us, stop committing to the false hopes and the false securities of the world. Commit to me. Follow me. That's, it's that simple. Just follow me. Like, I, I don't know how to do that. Don't let the treasures of this world, don't let your worldly commitments blind you now from the present, the right now, heavenly treasures that you can have. I'm not talking about worldly things, but the heavenly treasures that you can have now, eternal life, which you can have right now. Don't let your worldly commitments take your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Don't let it take the currency of your time and energy. Jesus says, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Commit your life to me. And the rich young ruler is unable. We know he's unable because what happens? He goes away sad. And this is not just, oh. There's a, this, this word means a deep grief in his heart. And here's the thing. Don't be sad. Don't be sad. Don't come away from Jesus deeply grieved because you have not really encountered him correctly then. Don't be like, I have, those things are, what? I have to give that? No. Because what you get is so much more. It, it, when you encounter Jesus correctly, it's never about, oh, I have to. It's like, what? I don't, what's that about? It's, it's him. And, and the reality is that he's not deeply grieved. He's actually sad. We ought to pity the rich young ruler, because he doesn't get it. He is sad because he doesn't get life. What are you committed to? Where is your time and energy invested in? Jesus goes on to say 20, in verses 24 to 27, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? The, the reason why, right, they're stunned by this. Because in this culture, right, if you are a rich person, 
First of all, you are rich because you probably are good. You are rich because you are probably morally good and God has blessed you. And so for that answer at the very beginning, how do you inherit eternal life? They would say, you do good, you obey commandments, and God blesses you. Right? And so, and when Jesus says, listen, it must be really hard for rich people to enter the kingdom. It's so hard that it's impossible. Because he gives the impossible metaphor. He, he picks the largest land mammal in the area that what they would have known. And, and like the little, th- I, I can't even get a thread through the eye of a needle. And he's like, try to get that lamb, you know, that camel right through there, right? Right, shove it through. And they're all like, well, then who can be saved? If the rich can't be saved, if those who, who supposedly make a God can't be saved, who can be saved? You can understand how it's just completely challenging everything of their, their conceptions, right? And then Jesus says, well, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus said, yeah, yeah. But I can get that camel through the eye of the needle. You can't. But I can. You can't be good. But I can. I am. Good. So if it's impossible. If it's impossible for you and I to to have eternal life. Or to inherit it. Or to obtain eternal life. How do I commit to the right thing? Right, this is what we're talking about, commitments. How do, we, how do we commit to the right thing? How do, we, how do we not covet? How do we not have idols? How do we commit to Jesus? If he's the one that can do the impossible and he says, follow me, how do we follow him? How do we commit our lives to him? Right, the answer is right, you and I can't. That's a simple answer. We could just end it here and you're like, well, this is a very depressing sermon. You can't. By, by yourself and by your own means, you can't. Because you and I are enslaved and trapped by our sinful desires. The things that we actually covet and spend our time and energy. We're enslaved and entrapped by those things. Not by those things. We're actually enslaved and entrapped by our desires after those things. So there's something inherently wrong with us. But here's where we start. Here's where the hope starts. Here's what I'm telling you. There's three ways I'm going to look at this, right? The first one, how do we commit to Jesus? Is first one, look to the real rich young ruler. The second thing is you need to do, I think, is you need to assume you need some tough love. And the, and the third thing is commit to fleeing. Commit to fleeing from the things that you are committed to. And so here's the one. Look to the real rich young ruler. Jesus is the one that says, I can do the impossible. I can do the impossible. You see, Jesus was young. This is around 30, 31. That's, that's even young in that culture. Right? He is a young person. And we know, as in humanly standards, he's also incredibly wealthy. Not in humanly standards, but he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the creator of all things. It all belongs to him. You and I belong to him. He is the one with all the wealth. And he is the ruler of all things. He is rich. He is young. And he is the ruler. You know, the, the, the person here, the rich young ruler, he cannot do it. That's in you and I. But the real rich young ruler, he can do it. He can do 
what we cannot do. I want you to just understand, Jesus gives up all his wealth for our, to get our poverty so that we who are poor can inherit all his wealth. That's the gospel. Jesus gives it all. You're right, so the rich young ruler, he couldn't give it all up, could he? He couldn't give up everything. That's the exact thing that Jesus does. That's the exact thing that he does on the cross. He gives it all up for you and I, the poor. And this is incredible, right? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, can we undersell that more? Yet for our sake, he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I mean, there's a reason why this encounter happens. It's because the rich young ruler needs to hear this, because you and I need to hear this, because this is the gospel. I know he can't do it, but I can, Jesus says. I can do what he can't do. I can do what you can't do. And that's earn and inherit life. Jesus gives it away all for our sakes. He gives it to us. He threads the needle through the, the camel through the eye of the needle. He does what he asks us to do and he knows we can't. He earns our salvation and he gives it to us. Look to the rich young ruler. To the real rich young ruler. Look to Jesus. And then the second thing is assume you need some tough love. And you know what tough love is. All right. So, you know, you know a, a young kid, a toddler, right? They pick up scissors and they start walking with it. You don't just let that toddler run and walk with those scissors, do you? Or a knife or whatever dangerous object it is. You actually take it away and they'll object to it, right? They'll hide, they'll run from it, they'll cry, they'll scream, they'll throw a tantrum, right? But you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you should just have that back. That's not what you do. He's like, you're just going to have to deal with it because this is not safe. No better. And this is not safe, right? If someone is drinking and they're about to drive, you ought not to just like, hey, I'm just going to let you do that. No, you take their keys. You stop them. You stop them. No matter how angry they get with you. If someone is, is hurting themselves in whatever capacity, your responsibility is to love them in a tough way that they might not like in that moment, right? That's tough love. To say the things to someone that they need to hear in that moment. But here's the thing. You and I need some tough love in our life. We need some very pointed, wonderful counsel in our life. Assume you that you need that. You, Jesus is probably telling Tom Brady you know what, your commitment to football is probably a little too much because you don't know me. Your commitment to winning and your competition, uh, this, this just consumes your life more than anything else. I mean, I don't know him, right? I, I don't know, but it's what he said. It's the observation of him, right? And I know he doesn't know Jesus. He said that. Man, do you think he ought to give that up for Jesus? I mean, maybe he can get it back if he has an improper in place. But if it's his, if it's his idol, I can find the wonderful counsel. Tom, you need to give that up. You need to give it up. I don't know what counsel he needs to give to you. 
all your commitments in this world, all of them need to be for Jesus. Period. Not some of them. Not the vast majority of them. All of your commitments, time and energy, you spend time thinking, ought to be for the worship and glory of Jesus. I just want you to think about that this is how Jesus lived his life. All of them, all of it, his time and energy on earth was to give glory to the Father and was to give to us. There was not one moment he's like, you know what, that's my, just for me. It was for us. It was for the Father's glory. Jesus tells the rich young ruler, drills down to the central issue, you need to give up your money. Your money is killing you. What does Jesus need to drill down in your life? What is he saying to you that what's killing you? What's taking you away from me? A lot of us, money is an issue, right? That's this culture we live in. It consumes us. Proverbs talks a lot about money. Talks a lot of great things about money. Talks a lot, there's a lot of positives about this. Well, it talks a lot bit about uh, hard work and the, and the earning of that wealth, right? It's, it's good things. But it talks a lot about the spiritual dangers of money. Right? Because money consumes our time and energy. And particularly our culture. It consumes our time. I mean, we have multiple networks that are just based on finances. On how the market's doing. So people can watch that. What? You see, the problem is that with money, right, you need more of it, and so that, that consumes your thoughts. And so you have to worry about it, consumes your thoughts with worry, and you have to work more, or you have to worry about advancement. I need to get a higher job. I need to progress in my job. I need to save money, right, because I need to save money for retirement, because these commercials tell me I need $2 million for retirement saved in. I mean, it's the stress, and I didn't have to worry about that. And then I actually had to have a retirement. I mean, come on. And then if you have enough, you have to spend time and energy to protect it, to invest it, and then spend it. That's time and energy. That's exhausting. You see, what Proverbs is telling you is that money and finances and wealth it can distract us. It also gives us the illusion that we have control. That we are safe. It gives us money is a false idol and a false savior for many of us. What tough love does Jesus need to give to you? What wonderful counsel does he need to speak in your life? Are your commitments serving Jesus? Or are you serving your commitments? What does Jesus need you to give up? What does he need to take away? Not because they're inherently bad, but because your heart is inherently bad. The most important skill, I just want to hear that, right? The most important skill, the most, uh, the most important ability, the spiritual gift that he has given you. I want you to hear this very clearly. The spiritual gift that he, the most important spiritual gift, the most important ability that he has given each and every one of us, hear this clearly, just so you have a proper perspective of what your gifting is. 
is the ability to repent. The spiritual gift to repent, to turn away from all your idols, for all your other commitments that force and enslave you, and to turn to him, and finally to observe him as proper Lord in your life. That's your greatest spiritual gift that he gives to all people. I know it's not list, listed in the spiritual gifts, but I know it's a spiritual gift because you can't have it unless God gives it to you. And I know it's a spiritual thing. It's not an eternal thing in my heart. So it's a spiritual gift that he gives to his people. to turn. And listen, I think you're like me. The people that I like being around the most are the people that are not defensive, that are people that are willing to admit their mistakes, people that are willing to own their mistakes, that are eager to apologize and say, I'm sorry, and change. Those are the people that I love being around. The people that are the opposite of that, I do not like being around. I do not want to be around those people. And here's the problem. Sometimes I don't want to be around me because I'm one of those people. But the gift that God gives us is that ability to flee from our commitments and run to him. And that's the third thing, right? Commit to fleeing. 1 Timothy 6.11. But as for you, O man of God, flee from these things. Flee from those false commitments. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. The prior verse right here, the prior verse in which Paul is talking about, says the love of money is the root of all evil. All kinds of evil. Through the craving of some have wandered away. That, not, that might be your issue. It might be not, right? Whatever that wonderful counsel that God needs to give to you. Flee from those things. Flee from evil. Flee from the evil one. Now, now part of the problem we know is that um, you can't just flee from your circumstances. You can't just flee from those because it, it's in your heart. <laughs> and so wherever you go, your heart commitments go with you. And your brokenness go. So you, you not just need to flee from, flee from those things from your heart. You need, to, you need to run to God. Run to him. In 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Right? Prior to all this, right? Godliness, right? Put your mind on the character of God. One of those is Generosity. Be content with that and forget about all of this worldly gain. Stop pursuing that because that's this death. Pursue godliness. Pursue the character of God because that's eternal life. Because that's eternal. Because that's, remember, and that, that is great gain. Don't undersell it, right? That is incredible. That's everything. Content that God is enough, that he provides, that's enough for me. That he's my shelter, that that's enough for me. That he's my strength, that that's enough for me, for me in this world. Flee all the commitments that lead you away, that hinder your commitment to Jesus. And for some of us, that means our finances. Right, and we, we talked about this last week, right? right this, the standard of giving to the poor of 10%, which is, which is mandated in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it doesn't mandate it, but it talks about this exceeding generosity. So, I mean, just, I just want you to start, right? If you think you're just giving 10%, woo, I'm good. 
Don't be the rich young ruler. You have not heard the generosity of God yet. You have not heard that, man, that is probably the minimum standard in your life. That's probably the minimum. I'm not, and I'm not telling this is how you get, but, but on a practical way, that's the minimum standard of generosity would be by 10%. 10% of your income. Now, if you're not there yet, breathe. 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 Make a plan to flee. Make a plan. Maybe it's 1% or 2% that I need to start giving away because I haven't given away anything. Maybe you're already there at 10%. You've been there for a long time. Like, whew, I'm content with that. Be content with godliness. Man, like, be content with generosity. Make a plan to increase. I'm not saying you need to give more to the church, right? I'm just saying give. Be generous in all things because that's who God is. In all currencies, be generous. Have a plan to flee. I mean, look to the rich young ruler. Look to Jesus. Know that you need some hard truths. And commit to fleeing from the commitments that are holding you back and running to God. Put it to action. Put into action by repenting and refleeing to whatever you think. Luke 10, 27. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. It's an incredible thing that God says. This love is one thing. Love God, love neighbor. It's the same thing. Now, I, I will say, you can't just love your neighbor. It doesn't work that way. Because you really won't love him. You have to love God. And then when you love God, you naturally have to love your neighbor because that's how God is. That's who he is. That's the character. That's the godliness you ought to be content with. If you want to know generosity, you need to know Jesus. Better yet, you need to be known by him. Let's look eagerly to his commitment to us. Anticipate his commitment to you. And let us joyfully respond to his commitment by living generously for him with all the currencies of our time and energy and everything else we do and are. Let us anticipate our in committing to him today, together, in all things, with all things, for all things. Our time, our energy, our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Let us pray. Gracious Father,